Uh, today, today we are drawing very near to the close of the Gospel of Mark. We've been learning how to follow the King, and we're at a bit of a, a dark and low point in the book at this point. Uh, today we're looking at the burial of Christ, where this one who the, the whole Gospel is about, uh, he, is, he is dead, and he's being buried. And it shadows, it puts a kind of a cast over uh, this passage, of course. But uh, today we're going to be looking at, at different perspectives on this passage. How do different people engage with, and how, how can we engage with the burial of Christ on different levels? Uh, now, that, that perspective matters. Uh, a story from this, this last week. Uh, all right, so I have a four-year-old. I have a four-year-old, and... Uh, we are teaching him to, to be bold over his fears and uh, adventuresome. And so we went to the park, and we were, we're working on the, the rock climbing wall. All right, so uh, he was having a great time until we had to do the rock climbing wall. Uh, but it was like, okay, we're, we're going to conquer this. We're going to do this, and, and you're going to feel so great afterwards. Uh, all right, how did that go? <laughs> Lots of tears. The, like, angry yelling as he's calling on, like, I'm going to fall. And, like, no, you're not. And he, he gets down, and then we have to go back up. And little, little like, discussions about, like, how dad doesn't hate you. And <laughs> you're not just trying to, like, ruin your life. And remember that time we climbed a tree? Like, that was really good, wasn't it? And, like, we had fun. And, uh, all right. So after a lot of, of pushing and prodding and encouragement, all right, uh, we did it. We did it. We did the rock wall. And, uh we conquered it, and we felt good, and we were smiling after, like, through the tears, and like, yay! Uh, all right, now, the, the perspective part. We come back and share with Mimi what happened at the park. And what does he say? He said, oh, like, oh, I had a great time at the park. Really, why, why do you have a great time? Oh, I did this really fun rock wall, and it was really cool. And that's it, that's it, that's, it. that's all he says. All right, and we, we're like, we're shocked, and I feel like he's like, it's a tall tale at this point, that that's the whole story. Uh, but that's where, all right, in the midst of it, things can seem very bleak and miserable and, and hard. And then, then as we see the story from further off, we, can, we have a slightly different perspective, and, and we bring that in. And the reality is we're, we're constantly kind of swimming through those different waters, Sometimes we're in the thick of it. Sometimes we can we have this great perspective. And, you know, it was just, it was just wonderful, and I, I conquered all my fears. And uh, I think we want to look at the, the burial of Jesus from that perspective. Not just from the, hey, he's going to be risen. He's going to be risen and just kind of pass over it. But recognize that there, there are these dark points and, and enter into those as well. So we're looking at the, uh, the burial of Jesus from three perspectives here. From the, the experiential, just the very tangible day-to-day the scriptural, and then finally the, the spiritual. Hoping to see that ultimately, like, in the midst of sorrow, we have this God who is he's faithful to his promises. And he's doing great things in and through Christ. And if we have perspective to see that, um, we have real foundation for, for joy and worship in the midst of all things. So let's read now Mark 15, verses 40 through 47. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. 
and Salome. When he, was in Gal- uh, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there also were many other women who came up from him, with him to Jerusalem. And when evening came, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has lived the whole spectrum of human life, including uh, being under the, the rule of death for a time. And Father, we are, we are humbled uh, to see your great love for us, that you would give your Son for us. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes and, and hearts to understand this passage and to apply it to our lives in, a, in real tangible ways, Father. Would we see you in all circumstances? Would we trust you and have eyes to see your, your faithful working in the midst of your promises and in Christ uh, beyond our mere sight? So, Father, would you work in this? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you minister through your word? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are beginning here uh, with the experience, the tangible experience of these women watching as their Savior uh, dies on the cross and is buried. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. All right, who are these, these women? These are the last and final remnant of the followers of Jesus that we have seen all these others fall away, all of these others run and hide, and we can imagine the discouragement of these women as they have followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. Now, they, they have been the recipients of, of great miracles. We think of Mary Magdalene. Uh, Really, the only thing we know about her really is that uh, seven demons were cast from her. And now she's following Jesus. Now, some, some argue about who the other Mary is. Could this be Mary, the mother of Jesus? Possibly. In which case, you have all of these promises and miracles that she has seen. She has seen the, the water turned into wine. She has heard from the angel. And they have walked with him and seen the, the miracles and him prove himself and their hope poured into what's this seeming to be Savior. And now they're watching all of his followers disappear. They're watching him die on the cross. They watch the blood drain from his side and now they're watching him. So evocatively in the text, what does it call him? The, the corpse of Jesus. 
being taken down from the cross. All right. Now, there's great pain in being that remnant. That's a hard place to be. And be, by being there, uh, they're experiencing kind of the full weight of the sorrow. Other people, they, they, have, they have removed themselves. But it's almost like the, these two are, if you go to a funeral, sometimes there's that person who is lingering at the end. And everyone else starts to draw away. And that there's this last person who is just, they're heartbroken. And they can't leave. All right, that is these women. This is their, their faithfulness, and they're returning to him. And for them, their, their world is, is being crushed and, and falling apart. And we want to remain there for a little bit of time because that's the, the reality of the Christian life at times. There are these soaring moments, and there are these moments of, of great darkness. I think of, uh, you know, you think of the, the Exodus story and how glorious that is. And then you think that for generations and generations, there were just enslaved Israelites. And that was their experience of God. And that's the reality of the, the life that we live in Christ. There are these highs and there are these great lows. Now, what are, what are the great darknesses and lows that you experience? For some of you, it has been this, this literal grief that you have been the person who is, who is lingering by the grave and, and watching. And For others of you, it has been just sorrow and trouble happening, and you're questioning, okay, is, is God effectively dead? Where is he? Why isn't he doing anything? Or you find yourself mired in sin, and you're thinking, well, why, why doesn't he rescue me out of this? Doesn't he want me to be free of this? And, and the darkness starts to settle. Uh, there's very few interactions that you like remember for for a lifetime. And uh, after a, a long mission trip, our director he gave us this this word of advice here: Do not doubt in the darkness what you have seen in the light. Do not doubt in the darkness what you have seen in the light. These women they have they have seen abundant things in the light. And in the Christian life, there are going to be mountaintop experiences, right? Where you can, where you can see everything and you feel like you can see the whole universe from the perspective of God and, and his great love for you. All right, where you're like, you're literally on a mountain and you feel like you can touch Jesus and the emotions are flowing and of course, the, the Christian life is real. Of course, I can do this. Like, what else would I want to do? And there's other times where we come down and where. We haven't felt this great joy of the gospel for, for months and months. Or where we're not seeing him working and things feel dark and heavy. And we have two choices. We can say, okay, when I was up there, it was just an illusion. And we can say, or we can, we can stay in the darkness. You know, now, now I see it clearly. It's, there's, nothing, there's nothing exciting here. All right. Don't doubt in the darkness what you saw in the light. And I think that's what's sustaining these women is they, they saw great things in the light and they are faithfully enduring. And their hope is still there. 
right. Please, please don't. Cast off all of these things you are actually seeing most clearly in those moments. And the sorrows, they are they're blinding. And they're all-encompassing, and they can cloud out your vision. Now, because these women are there, all the other disciples, they have all left, but because they are there, because they have stuck through it, because they've remained through the darkness, in spite of the great sorrow that they feel, Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. All right. These two alone watch him go into the tomb. And as a result, these two alone, they will see him. That, that same grave, torn open and empty. So we wonder, okay, is it worth it, is it, worth it to, to endure through the darkness or do we just wait for times of light? All right, because those endured the times of darkness, because they, they had their hope and they continued in hope, God uses them to be the proclaimers of the resurrection of Christ. They get to see the, the heights of the glory. They get to go down into the darkness and then when the darkness is stripped away, they're the first to see the glories of what God was going to do in Christ. And that's where I, I, I call us, and I call myself, and I call our, our foolish hearts to endure through the darkness and to have the hope that the, the light brought in other times and to trust that he's, he's building in you like resurrection witness. Resurrection witness and a, an ability to testify to God's faithfulness beyond the darkness. And to say that you didn't have to run and hide, you didn't have to, to flee, that you waited for God to work and you saw it. And you saw him in all his glory. Now, that is not a requirement. Most of the Christians who are in this time didn't get that. But for those who endure, they are given this great blessing. So I'd call you, like, suffer well. Trudge through the darkness well. Keep your eyes on him. Trust him to work. All right. But that's not, the, that's not, okay, so that's one perspective. That's just an experiential, that's very much in the emotional thralls of it. But then we step back and we see this Joseph of Arimathea and we get a, a deeper perspective on what's happening in the burial here. And we see that Amazingly, the, the fulfillment of Scripture and God's providential working is even in the hand of something as, as sorrowful and as awful as the burial. Verse 42. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was indeed dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen uh, shroud and taking taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock, 
and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. All right. How should Jesus have been buried? If it was just left to, left to the workings of human beings, what would have happened to him? Uh, all right. If the Romans had their say, Jesus would have been left there. He would have been left there for, for far too long. And then he would have been taken off the cross, buried in a shallow grave there on Golgotha. And who would ever know if his body was there or not? Who would ever know if he was resurrected or not? It's probably the, the place of the skull because the, the bones are, are visible all around this place. All right. But then we have this, this man who steps in. God has been working. He's been working to actually provide the, the foundation for the resurrection and for the working of Scripture. We have Joseph of Arimathea. All right, who is this guy? This is, this is the most unlikely of people to jump in and, and help work through Scripture all right, he is a, a member, it says, like, I'm a respected member of the council. What council is this? This is the Sanhedrin. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. This is the council that arrested Jesus, found a bunch of false witnesses to give horrible testimony that didn't agree with each other. Then they condemned him. Then they sent him to Pontius Pilate with this kind of trumped-up story, and they led the crowd to choose this evil murderer over Jesus and... Why do they do it? They do it so that they can keep their power, they can keep their position, so they can remain wealthy and in control. All right, this is not the kind of guy, this is not the kind of counsel that should produce someone like this. And yet, here is Joseph of Arimathea. He is seeking the kingdom of God, and something is compelling him to Christ. And remarkably, even as Jesus is, is dead, this guy chooses that this is the right point to, to show his faithfulness to Jesus. And so he goes and goes before Pilate. Now, the, the way they talk about going before Pilate, and it makes it act like it's like this simple thing, and you're just like, go talk to your friend Pilate. Uh, he's like a high-up religious... Or, uh, Roman official, all right, because and only because he is a standing member of this, the Sanhedrin does he get, even get a council. And the only way you get out of the shallow grave is if, like, the head of the state comes and says, yes, yes, you, you may unofficially break the law because that's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be dishonored. That's part of the crucifixion. And he gives the body. And this guy, who is apparently a, a bit of a coward beforehand, we don't see him saying anything in the midst of the Sanhedrin. Suddenly he has all of this courage and he goes and, and uses it for the sake of getting access to Christ's body. And this, this person who is a part of a council obsessed with wealth, he, he gives up his unused and perfect location tomb. All right, if you're setting yourself up for the afterlife, this is where you want to be. You're in Jerusalem, you're in the holy city, you are, you're on front stage. 
This is evidence of, of wealth and influence. All right. God is working. And God is working so that the, the stage could be set, so that that stone could be rolled away. And so that soldiers could be stationed there, so it wouldn't just be this story of, well, I don't know where we laid him. I, he could be anywhere. No. So that these two women could know exactly where he was. So that they returned, they said, I, we saw him dead. We saw him put there. And we know that he is gone now. And he's doing it through the, the most unlikely of sources. He is changing hearts. He is changing a person that, that should not be what they are. And that's where, okay, we have this as experiential and we think, like, okay, our, our Savior, our God is dead. All I see is darkness. And then you start to unpack the layers here and you see no no god is still working god is redeeming even through the death that joseph of Arimathea has its chance to, to actually portray his faith in the midst of darkness because of the darkness and god is, is working through providence things aren't just chaotically happening we have a god who is in control even as Jesus is being crucified and died and buried. And finally, we have this, uh, this fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. All right, this is a weird passage. Uh, of all of these things have been fulfilled. We've watched them being fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled. And there's this one capstone that needs to be placed on the end. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. All right. If Jesus was laid there in an open grave, he wouldn't be with the rich man. But instead, God, God fulfills the, the last jot and tittle of this story of the Messiah and puts him in the rich man's tomb. All right, he is, he is ever working. He is ever fulfilling. He is ever keeping his promises. This could be the utter defeat of the Savior, and instead, no, it's the, the sovereign working of our God. Which, if we merely depended upon the, the mountaintop experiences, when we are engaged, that's the only time we can see God working is when he's actually doing it. All right. We have so, such a better God than that. And we are so proud. I think of Elijah crying out, you know, I'm the only one left. No one else is falling. And, and like, no, sit down. You need a snack and you need a rest. And you need to like think about how there's more going on here. And there's a remnant and we have, we have a purpose. Uh, all right. That's, that's, I think, what we're trying to engage with here. Right. Do you have eyes that can, can see God's faithfulness even when it's, you, you don't see it working? Do you trust that God actually cares about all these promises? Made? All right, this is like the goofiest of fulfillments right here. 
And you're probably like, ah, you could probably leave that one out. But no, no, that one has to be fulfilled. All right, there are much better, bigger promises that God has made to you. Like, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll work all things for the good of those who love me. I'll transform you into the image of Christ. That blessings will come to those who suffer. That you'll be resurrected in glory. That he, he loves life and restoration. and right, These are promises that he makes to us. Even if we cannot see how he is doing it, he is doing it. He is faithful. I would call us to be ones who, who look with hope and who endure with hope and who, who look to the promises that God is making and are, are, are clinging to those things. That is a perspective on this, this story you have those kind of eyes because he is that faithful all right so we just went through the kind of experiential then the scriptural and the the promise oriented is his sovereignty and now we're going to see that the spiritual realities that are going on here and these are left out of the story of mark because we don't get them until later but we want to see okay what is What is happening on a spiritual level as Jesus is even in the tomb? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for history? And uh, first, first we need to make one thing pretty clear. All right, where was Jesus during this time? All right, he was truly dead. Death is is a separation of body and soul. And so the soul or the spirit of Christ, where, where is it? We know where the body is. It's in the tomb. Where is the spirit and soul of Christ? Right. It is not in hell. It is not in hell as we think of it. All right. Jesus is not burning. Jesus is not being tormented. What does Jesus say to the, to the thief who mocked him, but in other gospels that we see is, is changed? He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, Paradise has a bunch of names. It's, it's otherwise called Abraham's bosom in other times, which is like weird, um, weird way of saying it, but that, it's nice. Um, all right, there's a, there's a place of death. There's a place of death called Sheol. And it's where all the people who are dead go. But Scripture makes it clear, this is not one place, a monolithic place. It's, it's two. There's a place of suffering and a place of, of peace in Sheol. I just want to make clear, like, Jesus is in the place of, of peace. He is not tormented. He is not suffering. That he suffered on the cross, but in death he is, he is taken to this place of peace. And he's actually utterly transforming that place, even paradise, as it's called. He is making paradise real. He's making it more the paradise that when we die, we want to go to. All right, this is, this is, this is heady. Sorry, hey? We're going to look at this quote. And we're going to think about it. And then I'm going to give an illustration, okay? So hang in with me. Okay. All right. I did not write this because I'm not this smart. All right. All right. The presence of Jesus in paradise... 
changes its entire constitution. Rather than being a place where the righteous dead await the coming of Israel's promised Messiah, the Christ is now in their midst. First in the descent, he is present with them in his human soul, and then after the ascension, he is present with them bodily. This this change in paradise constitution is mirrored in the New Testament by change in spatial description. The spatial description of paradise shifts from the underworld to the third heaven. Not because it's been physically moved. It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual realm. No, it's been moved because the spiritual reality has changed. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's think about it. All right. All right. So there's usually this place of death. And even if you were a believer, it's a, it's a shadowy, dark place. Awaiting. Waiting for something greater. Waiting for the, the better thing. All right, an illustration here. Think of a surprise party. Think of the surprise party before the person who's getting the surprise comes. All right, what do you do? All right, it's pleasant, usually. It's probably usually not miserable. Uh, but, all right, everyone's kind of whispering. The party hasn't started. You usually have the lights off, which is appropriate here. Like, uh... And you're, you're just kind of hanging out, and it's, it's not paradise, not the party yet. All right, and then the person comes in, and the lights go on, and the music starts, and everyone cheers, and then you break out the music and feast, and all right, the party starts. All right, that's the change that we're talking about here. And that's where you can think, okay, uh, when you die, are you going to fall asleep? Are you going to be in this miserable, dark place wondering, like, I don't know what's going to happen? No. You are in a place where Jesus is. You are in a place where the waiting has stopped and look, the Messiah has done his work. And that's where we don't talk about descending into death anymore. We talk about raising up to to spiritual heaven because now we are with Christ and we are in him. And I, I say this just so that for those people who have, who's, who have stood by the grave and have been tethered to it, they can trust that, like, no, I, if their faith was in Christ, they are with Christ. They're with him. Even the, the bodily resurrected Jesus. They're not floating about. They're not in this mysterious place. They, there's not uncertainty here. They are with their Savior. He went ahead of them so that he could meet them there. So that every time would be a a party that is centered around Jesus. Now, and just a reminder, like, the only reason that place exists is because Jesus made that party possible. The only reason that anyone was waiting for Jesus. The only reason anyone gets to see him is because Jesus earned that place in paradise and he created it. It is his place. And it has nothing to do with us and our good works. It has nothing to do with what we have done. It is because we have united ourselves to Christ and Christ went there, so we join him. Now with that, I have one last kind of application here. All right, if that is true, if you have put your faith in Christ, Christ, 
Let us set our minds on that place and not upon the grave. Romans 6, 3-4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, what is he saying? He's saying that when you see the, the tomb of Jesus, you ought to see your old self. You ought to see your, your old withered man in all of his sin and all of his decrepitness and all of the death. And you, you should see yourself in the tomb and that you have been raised even now as a new creation. A new man, a new woman. One who has a new heart. And you might ought to remind yourself, all right, where is your sin now? Where is your sin nature? Where is your sin? All right, it is in the tomb with Jesus. It is in the tomb with Jesus and it is left there. And we live as people who have left their sin in the grave. Because the reality, the spiritual reality is, that is who you are. You are a new creation. Your sins are there. They are not being carried upon your shoulders. You do not need to suffer for them. You don't need to have to burn them off in purgatory. There's, there's nothing left to be done with those sins. And so you leave them there. And you leave them there day by day. And when we, new resurrected beings, when we feel tempted to go rummage through the grave clothes and find all the things that we liked there and say, oh, I'm... I, I might want a souvenir of sin here and there. Or, you know, there's, I think I left a, a vial of poison in my pocket. How about I go drink it just to, just to see if I like it still? We, we remind ourselves, no, no. That person is dead and dead for a reason. And I'm going to go pursue life in Christ. I'm going to set my mind on the, the paradise that is before me. And I'm going to live like I am a new creation. All right, last illustration. All right, let's say there's a man. He is a man. And if he's saying things like, you know, I, I can't drive because, you know, I, I'm just a kid. Or if he's calling up his mom every day and saying, you know what, mom, do I have permission to go to the movies with my friends? Or, uh, you know, can I, I don't know if I can, should stay past 10. I've, I've only, you know, kids should go to bed early. We just tell that person, all right, stop, stop, and not even grow up. It's just be the man that you are. Stop acting like a child because you're not one. And not become a man. It's just, no, you, you are a man, so live, live like it. Live under the freedom of that. Live under the, the life that is now yours. All right, that's what we're talked about when we're engaging with Christ. It's like, it's not this, you know, rise to the level of who you ought to be. It's no, live, and live as who Christ has made you. Live like your sins are buried and like you can walk a new life. Enjoy those things and leave the sins buried because they are buried with Christ. All right. So to sum us up, uh, let us be reminded our sins are buried that God is ever 
present and ever working. And that if he is putting you through great suffering, trust he is doing it that you might be a great witness to his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we know that when we have the perspective of your eternal working, when we can see uh, the world through your faithfulness and, and trust that there's a larger story being told, we can live with great joy, even in the midst of sorrow. So, Father, we ask that you would shape us. You would give us hearts to believe the things that we hear, that you would give us uh, by your spirit an ability to live as new men and women in Christ. We ask that you would transform us into great witnesses that can speak of the lows and speak of your, hate, your faithfulness to, to bring resurrection glory out of them. Father, would you, would you connect us deeper? to the realities that we have died and have been resurrected with Christ. We thank you that that is our story in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.